Welcome to Offline Thoughts, where I talk about online personalities, cultural events, and popular movements. I'm really glad that you're listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So today I'd like to talk about Christmas and all the things that Christmas entails. Some are good, some are not so good. And when I look around the shops right now, you know, it's obviously a very exciting time. So most of the shops in London already have Christmas items in. They've got the Christmas trees, they've got the Christmas decorations. When you go into any sort of supermarket, they have all the Christmas bits that you'd want to get. They've got the mince pies on display. They've got the alcohol on display. They've got the roast potatoes on display. They've got like the gift items on display. And there's a general general sense of excitement of the incoming Christmas period and specifically the time that we're all going to be spending with our friends and family over the coming few weeks. And I'm definitely not immune to that excitement. You know, I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking about what cards I'm going to be getting people. I'm thinking about exactly who I'll be sending cards to. More specifically, you know, should I send cards to my previous colleagues, uh, my work colleagues? Should I send them to friends overseas? Or should I just do a message on the day? And also I'm thinking ahead at the gifts I'm going to be buying for my friends and family. I'm also thinking about travel plans because I tend to spend my Christmas with my family in Ireland. And in general, it's a positive happy environment you know I'm looking forward to seeing friends I haven't seen in months I'm looking forward to seeing my parents I'm looking forward to seeing my siblings and at Christmas it's a pretty big deal in my house so it's not that I'm not excited about Christmas but in this episode I'd like to talk about the negative side of Christmas or the part of Christmas that makes me feel uneasy Um, and I'm going to go into a bit more detail as to why but the central reason I feel is that We are all being lured into celebrating this Christmas period, these festivities at the end of December. But sometimes when I'm celebrating and I'm having a a great time, I sometimes stop and think, what are we celebrating exactly? And that's what I'd like to talk about in this episode. So from a from a Christian perspective, for people who are Christian, it obviously makes sense why Christmas is such a big deal. It's literally the day that the central character of the religion was born. It's Jesus's birthday. It's his birth. It's his you know first birthday. And most people who grew up in like the Western world will have had experiences of growing up in like Catholic or Christian churches and Christian schools, or at least I did. And you know, at the Christmas period, we all remember the nativity play. And when we were younger, we would be you know a signed a character you know I was usually an angel or a tree um and we remember the story remember also if you watch the passion of Christ you know that horrendous horrific but amazing film you know you remember the story of Jesus's birth in a really potent way so obviously as Christians it makes sense why this specific period is a very important season it's a season where you remember why you are Christian the the fundamental uh central tenant of Jesus's life and how his life came to evolve and so why shouldn't that period be made a big deal or why shouldn't people be joyous and celebrating the birth of such an important character in their lives that makes absolute sense and obviously when we think about Christmas Christmas isn't really it isn't really just centralized around Christian practices anymore. So as time has gone by, as it has become more commercialized and commodified, it really has become less a Christian holiday or Christian celebration. And it has sort of incorporated most people in society. So even people who are of different faiths, you'll find that at Christmas, they are also sharing gifts. They are also partaking in the festivities. You know, they might have Christmas trees. They might be buying gifts for their families. And it's literally not even a, a religious practice. 
practiced in there or it's not celebrated in the same way in their faiths. Um, and I'm specifically specifically thinking about, for example, I know some Muslim people who also participate in Christmas celebrations in the same way that Christians uh, celebrate at this time of year. And again, that's because it has sort of uh, grown so much that it has become less a religious holiday, I would say, and more a cultural event in all our calendars throughout the year. And I don't know if that's the case everywhere. You know, obviously, sometimes when we're talking about our experiences, there's a tendency to universalize that experience. So I'm not actually sure what Asian people in Asia are doing to celebrate at Christmas, if anything. I've never really had the pleasure of living on the African continent after the age of six. So I don't really know if Christmas is a big deal there either. You know, I've, I've spent Christmas in South Africa when I was very little and I definitely have pictures of the Christmas tree in the background, but I don't know to what extent it's celebrated in the same way. And that's the same with other non-Western countries. Like, for example, I don't know what people do in Russia at Christmas time or, you know what I mean? So I don't want to say that everybody celebrates in the same way or it's as big a part of other people's cultures, but I definitely have heard stories or I've definitely read articles where, for example, in Asian countries like middle income or high income Asian countries like Singapore, Japan or China, that they have started celebrating components of Christmas, even though it's not from a religious standpoint, because obviously they practice different religions there, but they have things like you know, the turkey or they'll have things like the Santa Claus or they'll have things like the Christmas trees. So very much like this cultural practice of Christmas definitely has spread over the over the last X number of years. And obviously the appeal is very obvious. You know, it's even when you see the way that Christmas is represented in advertisement or in movies or in music, it's a fun thing that you want to partake in. You know, it's really, really fun. You know, some of the components of Christmas that is universally obviously appealing is the food component. And I know that in my family, when we're practicing Christmas and I tend to do all the cooking, is that everybody looks forward to having the roast potatoes, to having the mince pies. You know, my family tends to go all out. So we don't just have sort of like Irish food or British food. We also have a collection of basically different African foods that we like or foods from other countries we've lived in. So one of the favorite things that we have is like sauteed potatoes. And it's basically like parboiled potatoes that you then like partly fry in like oil with like salt to make them a little bit crispy basically like a take on the roast potatoes but we would also have things like cassava leaves with like peanuts and my mom does this does it in the most amazing way so you know before I went vegan she used to put like fish and peanut butter and peanuts in it and now because basically my whole family has gone vegan driven by my siblings is that she makes a vegan version where she still uses like all this seasoning and she uses like a lot of like round nut a lot a lot of like ground peanut and it's just absolutely delicious she also makes like this um this uh peas and carrots dish which sounds really simple but it's so difficult to replicate and she will cook the carrots on like a low heat with onions for so long that they just become essentially caramelized and then when she adds the 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 peas she'll cook that down until they're still green but it's like the sweetness of the carrots and the onions that have also like partly caramelized take on the flavor of the peas and it's absolutely delicious and then we'll also just have like it's basically cultural appropriation on my table so we'll also have things like jollof rice we'll also incorporate like british dishes that we really like um usually um not dishes like the main course because the main course is like stuff like jollof like red stews like peanut butter beans like the things that I just described but really it's a desserts where British and Irish food comes in because you know if we're really honest 
obviously main courses, main course items and entrees are done the best by black hands. So things like savory things are, you know, I just find way more flavorful in black families. But where where white British food excels in my view is really the desserts, you know, because although, you know, black families do do desserts, but they don't really do them in the way that British people do desserts or white British people do desserts. So in my left to my own devices, I I have a creativity block where where my desserts essentially are going to be just a simple sponge, a simple sponge with like butter and sugar, maybe a little bit of vanilla. And that's as exciting as it gets. And every now and again, I might like venture outwards and look up a recipe. But for the most part, that's sort of our go to dessert in my house. But in the last like few years, um, especially because my partner is super, super into desserts, I've really tried to incorporate, you know, British tra- traditional uh, desserts. So things like um bread and butter pudding or or uh, apple crumble with uh, custard or ooh, sticky toffee pudding with ice cream you know like really rich luxurious feeling desserts that I don't know maybe it's just my experiences but growing up I really didn't have desserts like that it really was just the, the simple sponge so now Christmas time we have you know we go all out with British desserts as well and then another component why I think uh Christmas has become so embraced worldwide or at least in the, some of the places that I'm familiar with is also the booze you know I think Christmas is on, the only time of year where it's acceptable to drink all day long so if you walk into your kitchen at like 10 a.m and you see your family sipping into some mimosas you know prosecco and orange juice you will think nothing of it whereas in any other scenario walking in and somebody's drinking at 10 a.m you would think that something is wrong and then also outside the you know the morning or brunch mimosas it's perfectly fine to have wine with your lunch or brunch and then to trickle in the afternoon with like more booze you know maybe you'll have more wine in the afternoon and then maybe you'll switch into like more liquors in the evening so we personally are big fans of gin and whiskey in my household I like to have whiskey you know or or brown liquors in general so you know we'll trickle in the afternoon and evening with whiskeys or with like cocktails for my mother because she likes to drink but she doesn't like to drink drink in that way so you have to make it really sweet for her but yeah it's basically the only time where it's acceptable and there's no negative stigma associated with drinking around Christmas time so of course that makes it very easy to to welcome and embrace that kind of um, holiday celebration and then outside the booze there's also the films in my house we're a big fan of like cheesy not necessarily cheesy but you know like the, those old school black cast films where you know you've probably watched them a million times all your friends have watched them a million times you've watched them with your, with your family a million times and now you just put them on as sort of like a sent I don't know if it's because of sentimental value or just because there's not enough black cinema out there but we find ourselves watching the same films over and over again so we'll watch things like the Johnson's family vacation or we'll watch like the best the best man holiday with Sanaa Lathan, Tay Diggs and Morris Chestnut who is still fine or we'll watch The Last Holiday with Queen Latifah which my sister particularly love and then we will always always watch Waiting to Exhale like without fail if not at Christmas or specifically like Christmas Eve or like Boxing Day we definitely will watch it for the new year because obviously in Waiting to Exhale that's where the film um, ends. Um, And then if we're not watching films we're going to be playing games and the most classic game played and I think I don't know if this is a universal experience, but certainly I'm sure in British culture and maybe Irish culture is Monopoly. Like we love a game of Monopoly, the kind of Monopoly that lasts hours and hours and hours because that's just the nature of Monopoly. And playing Monopoly with a combination of, you know, really 
emotionally invested young adults who act like children and who have been drinking is just a recipe for absolute disaster in my house. So we'll start playing Monopoly and it's it's relatively cordial, you know, it's polite. It's, oh, can I, can I trade with you? And they'll say, oh no, I'm not ready to sell that property yet. But, you know, maybe later on, you know, all very polite. And then a few hours in when basically most of the properties have been bought then it becomes like hideous and ugly and it's people like bargaining for their lives and they're taking out loans like monopoly loans and people are making note of who owes what and then because they can't pay on time they're adding interest and it's basically like a fight to the death until everybody becomes like worn out and usually it's my sister who wins I I don't know how she wins because I, I cheat and I still lose but it ends up ending where everybody's exhausted but you know it's part of the Christmas magic and then of course for those who are, you know, loosely Christian, as my family is, is I would say, or at least a quarter of my family, is that it's probably the only time that adult kids indulge a really religious mothers to go to church. You know, at any time of the year when my mother is like begging, you know, us kids, I say us kids, but we all range in ages of 20 to 31. It's usually throughout the year, she'll be begging and pleading because she hates going to church by herself. She'll, so she'll be saying, please come with me, please come with me. And, you know, we'll take turns in indulging her, but she really has to beg. Whereas Christmas is the only time where she doesn't really have to beg. We just go with her because we know it's it's important to her and also the nostalgia for us because, you know, we all grew up going to church, you know, on a semi-regular basis when we were younger and we had to go. And so, you know, there's Christmas lights, it's like the carols are caroling, there's like just a lovely atmosphere um, at church that, you know, maybe it's different in, in places like America where churches are much more of a celebration. So, you know, whenever I see it on films, I see that it's or not just films, but on YouTube, for example, if I if I happen to come across something, it's an actual celebration. There's like lively music, like people are excited to be there. You could see it in their expressions, like they are having an actual celebratory moment. They're having a revelatory moment. They're having a moment of connection. They're having a religious experience, and it almost feels like a concert when I see like those mega churches, like the types that T.D. Jakes, for example, or what's that guy's Neil Osteen, something like that. I might be getting his name wrong. You know, it's like really exciting churches. It's not the same thing in Ireland, for example. In Ireland, it's like imagine old school, like old school church where it's basically one old man at the front of the the front of the church who's reading from a bible in a really slow monotonous way and then everybody has memorized their lines so every now and again they'll respond to to what he says but it's not an impassioned way or in a way where people are generally joyful to be there or it's like a joyous experience it's like it's like rattling off like the times tables that you've said a thousand times that day. It's really lacking in complete joy. The music is not good. It's like shrill. It's like old school shrill, vibeless music. And it's really not a nice experience. You know, the good thing about that is that the good thing about the churches there is that it's only an hour long. And to be honest, in recent years, when I have gone with my mother, I noticed it's even shorter than that. So it's probably about 45 minutes tops. So really, by the time the altar people come around with like the collections for service, it's pretty much over. It's over in like 10 minutes after that. 
So Christmas is one of the times as well where I feel like younger people or their children sort of are just more giving in general. They're more willing to like go out of their way to make somebody else happy. So of course, all those things that I've just described, you know, like the food, the booze, the celebrations, the games, the films, the the togetherness of it all is probably the best part of Christmas that I like. And I feel like it's probably what is easy to export to other parts of the world because in other parts of the world, they're obviously not celebrating from their religious component for the most part although some some countries also of course do have the same faith but I would say that when I when I do see other places celebrate Christmas it doesn't feel like it's a religious experience it feels like it's more of a cultural experience it's not even culture I feel like culture is too deep for what it is it feels more like the way that we celebrate Valentine's Day or the way that we celebrate Easter it has that sort of moment that feeling or the way we celebrate Halloween it's like it's a nice fun fun festive thing to do and you'll do it for a couple of weeks and then you know it's essentially on to the next season so you know I've I've highlighted I've gone into detail about all the best bits of Christmas because I really want to emphasize that I love Christmas I've always enjoyed Christmas I love the time I spend with my family and friends I love the traditions that we have and also even outside my immediate circle I really like seeing everybody excited to celebrate something together but separate because obviously we're all in our individual silos and families but it's a general you know even just the goodwill you know when you live in a in a big city like London people are generally cold throughout so people don't make eye contact they don't say good morning they don't say how or how are you they don't even really look at you for the most part but Christmas I would say is the part where people's hearts are sort are sort of softened and I'm not going to say that people go as mad as sort of just randomly saying hello to strangers but in general I feel like people are more polite when they pass by you they're more likely to sort of make eye contact with you they're more likely to just look at you and smile for no reason other than the, than the fact that it's Christmas and that energy is in the atmosphere so I like Christmas as much as the next person. So, and I and I say this as a prelude to the next section because in the next section I'd like to talk about the parts of Christmas that I don't like. And with saying all these with these things, I'm not even saying that I'm I'm willing to give up Christmas right now or I'm willing to give it up in the way that I celebrate right now. But there are certain components of Christmas where I find myself thinking, am I doing this because this is what I want to do? Am I celebrating Christmas in a way that makes sense for my life? Or or am I sort of being swept away with the wave of how you're supposed to celebrate Christmas? And that's sort of going to be the focus of the next segment. And actually, as an aside beforehand, maybe the reason as well where I feel a level of antipathy towards Christmas is just the weather is absolute trash. It's even sitting in my home right now. Obviously, it's cozy. I've turned up all the heating. I've put on the electric blanket. I'm wearing cozy socks. I'm wearing a dressing gown. But the Christmas period is the time where I'm really reminded that I'm not me as an African person is not supposed to be in this Western hemisphere. You know, I wake up. And it's dark outside, which affects my mood uh, because I'm an early riser and I love getting up in the summertime and the sun is already up. It makes you feel like you're ready to go. But you wake up in the wintertime and it's dark outside and the world is completely silent. And then you like get out of bed and it's icy cold. And I'm not talking about the kind of cold where it's like, oh, you know, I'm feeling a little bit shivery or let me put on a blanket or let me put on a jumper. No, I'm talking about the kind of cold where you literally feel it in your bones, or at least I do. And I don't know if it's because I'm 
anemic maybe it's that but when I say I feel it to my bones I literally feel as though there's ice in my bones I feel as though when I feel my rib cage it's like the coldest penetrating to my rib cage so and one of the things I really don't understand is when I see people outside and they're just wearing like a light cardigan or a light sweater or a light jumper because when I go out I'm wearing gloves I'm wearing cozy socks I'm wearing leggings underneath my trousers I'm wearing jumpers and then also at nighttime my partner just sleeps with literally just like a, a sheet like a sheet and like a light duvet Whereas on my side of the bed, I've got the duvet on there. I've got this white throw blanket thingy. And then I've got the second blanket that I wear, uh, that I put on top. And then sometimes I'll preheat my side of the room with the electric blanket. And then also, of course, I'll be sleeping in my standard winter wear, which is the cozy socks, the leggings, the bla- the really cozy jumper, the dressing gown. Every now and again, if it's super, super cold, I wear a hat and gloves as well. But that's usually like towards like January when it's biting, biting cold. So, you know, there's that mixture of excitement in the in the air because Christmas is coming and there's like all those celebrations but at the same time you're really fighting through this terrible terrible weather when you live in a place like London so it probably doesn't help in setting the the tone and the mood in the first place for me but outside the weather component I feel like there's this there's this pressure to buy just absolute tat for absolutely everybody in your life and sometimes I think am I just being cheap because I really love getting a stack of gifts. Like one of my favorite things about Christmas, especially my partner, is I love waking up and there's like a big stack of gifts um, waiting for me. And usually it's like political books that I'm probably not going to read, but I still like to collect anyway. And they're all individually wrapped. They've got bows. Usually I get a bottle of whiskey. Usually I get cozy socks. I get very cold, you know, and the, the sight of just a big stack of gifts waiting for you is obviously very exciting. So when I feel this pressure to buy, sometimes I feel like, well, maybe I'm just being cheap. Maybe I just like receiving gifts, but I don't necessarily want to go out of my way to buy all this other gifts for other people which obviously is fundamentally selfish but then again when I think about it I think that's also not a fair comment because I genuinely get pleasure from buying my friends and family gifts you know especially people who are really expressive when they like things like my siblings and my brother when you give him things honestly it's difficult to get any emotion out of him you could buy him you could buy him like the fanciest cars and you'll get like oh cheers mate (laughs) but with my siblings with my other siblings my sisters they're super super excited you know especially when you get them like I like to give people experiences so I really like to get people flights to come and see me or to go somewhere together or just experiences in general like things like massages or things where you go and do something together like theater tickets or or a little weekend away something like that so it's not actually true that I don't enjoy buying things for my friends and family because that you know that makes me genuinely happy I think what I rebel against is the outward expansion of gift giving beyond your immediate circle so now obviously it's standard you're going to give gifts to your friends and family. Of course, they're your friends and family and you're excited to exchange gifts with them. But now, you know, with my office co-workers, you know, I probably like them, but I probably don't like them that much. And there's every chance that if I should leave that job, I'm probably not going to, to stay in touch with them. So then... I resent the pressure of having to buy gifts for them, even with, and obviously in, in, it's not as though there's an expectation that you're going to buy expensive gifts for them. Most offices, I would say, probably have like a secret Santa where, you know, you basically put your name into this little app that tells you who you're going to buy a gift for and then you give each other gifts anonymously. Or sometimes they have Chris Kindle where you just give 
it's not secret gift giving but you have one person you buy for so it's actually very rare that you have to buy for the full office but regardless you know why why do i have to buy a gift for tony and it that i i barely speak to or why do i have to buy a gift for sandra that i never speak to and that i you know i really only engage in the kitchen when i'm getting coffee and i say oh hey good morning we have like a little light chit chat like gift giving is supposed to be communicating something like i care about you i love you i'm trying to make you happy you know it's not, i don't think you're supposed to be just giving random not that they're random because obviously you see them on a daily basis but obviously the nature of your relationships in the office or in the workplace is very different to the nature of relationships outside that specifically relationships where you've chosen to be in a relationship with them you know platonic relationship with them so it's sort of like it's bringing a level of intimacy artificially to a situation or dynamic that is not actually true. You know, it's almost like forcefully making that relationship more than what it is. And I get the same sense as well when you read like job posts from companies that basically say things like, oh, we're a big family. You know, when you work with us, you're not just working for us. You're, you know, you're basically in a big family. And you're like, I've already have a family. Thanks. I'm not trying to join a family. I'm trying to work X, X number of hours in exchange for a wage. I'm trading my skills for a paycheck. I'm not trying to buy into a new family. And obviously it's, it's not true. It'll be different if it genuinely was true in that when you're joining these companies, you're being a, you're becoming a family, but that's not the case. And same with, with office co-workers or work co-workers. You're not friends. You're people who have found themselves in the same place at the same time because you applied to work at the same company. And because you interact on a daily basis, there's a level of relationship that develops, but ultimately you didn't choose to have these people in your lives. And also you don't know them well. I feel like the art of gift giving is knowing somebody very well that you will know what makes them happy. You will know what brings a smile to their face or you will know what thing that they need that they've needed for a long time, but they can't find themselves you know they can't bring themselves to to buy the thing for themselves because they they feel like it's too extravagant to spend on themselves so you you give them that thing because you know it'll make them happy i just feel like that doesn't apply to co-workers in 99% of the time of 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 circumstances and i feel like as well when you are close with your co-workers i maybe it's just the places that i've worked i usually feel it's usually because you're drinking buddies and you go and drink after work together or you go to bars together afterwards but that's not necessarily the same thing as you're divulging deep secrets or there's a deep intimacy there it's like again it's it's practical and convenience connections it's practical and convenient connections that you've built but they're not necessarily in the realm of you are my friend and here's a gift to make you happy so it's kind of unclear why we're why we're gifting people things that they probably don't like or need because we don't know them that well enough. And also we probably don't like them really that much to be giving them gifts in the first place. And then in some places, depending on how big the organization is. So I know in bigger organizations, it's of course not not practical or recommended to give a gift. But I've worked in relatively small firms and in small firms, there is a bit of pressure to, to gift your bosses something because you ultimately know that you progressing depends on how warm they feel towards you. So you don't want to give a gift where you're licking arse too much, where it's obvious that you're brown nosing, but you still do have to give a little something, even if it's like a token, like a jokey token, like a mug with their face with their face on it, or I don't know, like a nice tie or a bottle of wine. You still kind of have to basically not pay your dues, but you're ingratiating yourself basically by buying them a gift. And then finally, there's also just giving to extended people. So if you go to see a friend, obviously you're not just going to give your friend 
a gift, you're also going to buy their partner a gift. Or if you go and they have kids, you're not just going to give to your friend. You're also going to give it to their to their kids. You know what I mean? So it's always like expanding outwards. And ultimately, most people in our day and age really don't spend time, much time with people's extended loved ones. So I personally don't, people who have kids, I don't, I don't really see those kids. Maybe apart from like a couple times a year when I happen to like, see them over the holidays like over like the summer holidays or maybe they come over to my house but for the most part you know you're usually just friends with obviously your friend and then their like attachments they come with so you feel pressure to buy for them just because it seems rude to go into a home where there's kids and you also don't bring gifts for those kids as well and then outside just the number of people that you're giving to it's actually not even just the gift buying component or the component where you have to give things to people it's also that it really does end up being tat that you give to people for the most part because the quality necessarily has to go down the more people that you're going to give to. So if you know that there are 30 people that you're going to be giving gifts to, it's unlikely that you're going to be going to you know, like high-end stores. Like You're not going to be going to John Lewis in the UK or Fortnum Mason's and buying every person like a 30 bottle a 30 pound bottle of wine or 20 20 pound boxes of chocolate or just something or or soaps for like 50 qu- you're not going to be doing that you know so the more people there are you end up finding yourself buying tat so when you're receiving gifts for example from people who are not that close to you or even when you're buying gifts for other people i find often especially when people buy their stuff from like Amazon or ASOS because again that's the kind of places you need to go to when you're buying in volume I find that most of the clothing like when you get pajamas or socks or dressing gowns it's literally all polyester it's all either polyester or other sorts of other forms of of plastic clothing and I personally despise polyester I mean obviously when you're wearing like gym clothes you have to wear polyester because it's just more breathable than cotton cotton just weighs you down but there is nothing I hate more than polyester clothes. Like it, it looks like it's high, especially, especially when you go to places that are not premium or high end, obviously, but they're like more expensive than, than, than like an H&M. So when you go to Zara, for example, and you pick up a blazer and the blazer is like 89 pounds, because I don't know why it's always like just a pound off the full number. It'll be like 99 pounds as opposed to 100 or 89 pounds. And for 89 pounds or 99 pounds, you would think that it's going to be a natural fiber because it always looks very pretty. It always looks like it's a well-structured item. And often their blazers, for example, are lined. So when you pick it up and it's that price tag, you think, oh, it's it's obviously nice quality. But no, when you look at the, ty- the, at the label that tells you the contents and the material, like literally nine times out of 10, it's polyester or like other artificial fabrics. That basically means like, if you should get one droplet of sweat in that item, that's the item gone. Like they literally have to melt that plastic down and rebuild you or reconstruct you another blazer because it's 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 just never going to escape that fabric because that's the nature of those of those like plasticky fibers. So when you get like cozy socks, when you get like dressing gowns, when you get pajamas, it's literally plastic that you're gifting people. You're gifting people plastic and they're gifting you plastic, you know, because you're when you have like 30 people to buy for you're not going to go and and go to john lewis and buy them a lovely cotton dressing gown or lovely cotton socks or that costs like eight pounds each and then you have to buy the pajamas or probably like 60 pounds each then the dressing gown that is like maybe 90 pounds you're not going to do that you're going to go to asos you're going to sort the price from low to high you're going to go for a medium size even though you probably think they're large in xl and you're going to buy the cheapest thing that arrives the next day and you're going to do that for like any number of people so i 
just find the quality of items that you give and receive just always goes down anyway, which means that it's not even an item that ends up like inhabiting your home for a long time where you can think to yourself like, oh, you know, so-and-so got this for me like 10 years ago. Isn't it so nice that I'm still getting use from it? No, chances are by the time next Christmas comes around, it's like falling apart at the seams, you know? And then beyond that, it's not just that the quality deteriorates, it's also that the whole experience becomes entirely transactional. And that in itself isn't necessarily bad because we're we're always transacting to, to a certain extent. You know, most relationships are transactional and I, I personally don't think it's a dirty word, you know, you give me love because I give you love. It's a transaction. You know, if you are nice to me, I am nice to you. You know, if you take me out, I take you out as well. You know, we're always exchanging things. So I don't think transacting necessarily is inherently negative. But I think with Christmas, with the Christmas period and with this, with the gift giving culture that's always expanding outwards, I feel like most people are just putting a financial value on the friendship or the relationship and buying accordingly. So it's not that you're thinking I'm going, I'm looking at each individual person and I'm trying to think about something that would genuinely bring them joy to their lives or trying to buy them something they would need or something that would inspire them. No, you're, you're, you kind of look at it with a price tag attached to the relationship. Most people will look at their partner and they'll think, obviously, this is the highest, this is the highest ranking in my life right now. And I spend every day with this waking person. Or I spend every waking moment with this person. Probably sounds a bit unhealthy, but so they're going to get the highest priced or the highest cost items. And then you go down the list and you're like, well, my siblings, obviously they're going to get a relatively high thing as well, but not too much because they have to love me regardless, but still up there. Then obviously my parents rank above my siblings, so they're going to get nicer things than my siblings. But again, you know, they kind of have to love me anyway. And also they're their parents. So really they should be spending more on me than I then because I didn't choose to be here. And then you'll go down the list and you'll be like, well, my bestie has to get a really great gift because again, they're my bestie. And then you'll go down and down and down and you'll be like, well, my non-bestie friend is not going to get as high a value an item as my bestie because, again, they're not my bestie. So they'll get something small but still meaningful because I still do like them. And then you'll move down to your frenemy list and you'll be like, this person's my frenemy. I know she hates my guts, but we still have a nice time. We still go to theater shows together. We still go to like nights out together. So I still have to keep the relationship going. So I'll give her something that's cheap but looks like it potentially could be expensive. And then, you know, again, even further down the list and there's people who who you know people who like you but you really don't like them so you probably won't maybe you'll buy them you'll give them something that somebody else gave you that you know isn't useful to you or you don't like and they'll get that rewrapped and that's them done you know they like you regardless so it doesn't really matter so again when you're looking down when you're going down that list of like quote-unquote stakeholders or people in your life that matter or people you know to varying degrees you really are putting a price tag on that you're putting you're financially valuing them and then buying accordingly and that's the same thing that's happening to you and god forbid you should financially value them lower than they financially valued you then it's really embarrassing so they'll hand you a gift and the gift obviously looks expensive so let's say they went on to like there's this website that i really love where they have really nice jewelry it's monica veneta i think i'm pronouncing that right and it's really great because it's not just like gold-plated jewelry it's also like and this is not sponsored this is like jewelry where the base is silver and then the gold is on top of that as opposed to like cheaper places when you buy your jewelry from asos it's usually like gold plated but it's plated on brass which just means it's not very durable and it also means you can't get it replated like re-gold plated later on so anyway god forbid they should go onto monica venator and buy you like a bracelet that's like 150 pounds and then you've bought them a thoughtful gift but a low-cost item so let's say you bought them a couple of books that you feel like will really inspire them 
although it's obviously a thoughtful, kind thing you've done, there is like that smell in the air of like an unequal exchange that is that can affect the relationship because they know that they've spent all this money and then you've only spent like 30 pounds. Now, 30 pounds, 30 pounds is somebody's going to get tremendous value from that item if it's going to shape their life, if it's going to improve their quality of life, or, or it's going to change the way they fundamentally think. Obviously, that 30%, that 30 pound has a high return. But in a transactional, like valuing, gift giving at a pressure dynamic as Christmas is, then that 30 pounds is just 30 pounds. And then the next year, you'll probably find the person bought you thirty pound a 30 pound item because they need to now recalibrate the financial valuing they gave you last year. And they also have to make up for the fact that you didn't give them enough last year. And then you basically have to make up for the fact that you didn't either. So this year, you're going to be the one who gives them a gift that's closer to the 150 marks to make up for last year. The whole thing is just, the whole thing is just so it's so cold in a way and obviously it doesn't feel cold in the moment so when you're in the shops and you're choosing between which polyester dressing gown to buy your friend and which one to buy for your partner you're not thinking this person's worth x amount of money to me and this person's not worth that much but if you were to look at it from afar it essentially is what's happening and then the final thing i'd like to talk about of you know the part of christmas that makes me feel icky is you can't help but feel that everybody is living like way way beyond their means because and the stats are pretty clear on this like most people in the uk for example most people in london i don't know if it's the case it's probably the case for for many like big cities but most people are living way beyond their means even outside Christmas. So most people are living in homes they can't afford because the rent in London, for example, is crazy high. And the wages really haven't risen to accommodate the rising costs of living, basically. And also outside just like not being able to afford the essentials because the essentials are so expensive. Things like electricity and gas have obviously, as we all know, gone through the roof. But that's that's obviously in the last couple of years because of the pandemic and because of like the Russia Ukraine war and the lack of access to any oh okay so that's that's the last two years so we could easily dismiss that and say actually this is like a temporary period but for the most part that is also what's going even outside this extraordinary time shall we say people were already living outside their means you know as far back as I can remember the people that I know you know get to the end of the month and they are scrambling for money you know at the beginning of the month they're living like kings we're living like kings we're spending money left right and center we're going out to restaurants we're going out to bars we're buying stuff on Amazon that we really have no business buying we're buying on ASOS for next day delivery over and over again or, you know, we could just make food in the house, but we're using Deliveroo like four or five times out of the week. And by the time you get to the month, to the end of the month, like literally most people probably don't even have like a hundred pounds to their names, you know, and they're, and God forbid their job should suddenly terminate at the end of the month. Most people will be in a very difficult situation. I remember reading something like most people in the UK are literally one to two paychecks out like away from being homeless from not being able to pay their rent not being able to afford the basics in life because they have no savings exactly so that's the way it is in general outside christmas that's that's basically the typical experience of most people you know in the uk obviously this doesn't apply to like the top 20 percent earners or people working canary wharf like the city like the financial district obviously they're rolling on money and this is not the analysis doesn't easily translate but even even they actually and i'm going to talk about this in my next point even they are living beyond their means because ultimately the emotional trigger points 
exists for either category of earner, basically. So for like the average person, especially in the advent of like Klarna or like PayPal paying three, I don't know if you've seen that, or like ClearPay, you know those apps where you basically, they're consumer finance. You can basically pay a proportion of your final total over like spread out over like three months or six months so you might have like a basket basket of like 500 pounds and then you can spread that over like five payments and you're only paying 100 pounds which on the surface seems like it's a good idea because it makes things more affordable for you but it also is not addressing the fundamental issue and the fundamental issue is obviously you can't afford that like if you have to separate your payments and you have to basically pay little by little you know i'm gonna pay a little bit this month and the next month i'll pay it off but first of all that's bringing a bad energy to, to a gift in my view because you're giving a gift but you're giving it at your expense at your peace of mind because god forbid you should lose your job or, or fi- your financial circumstances should change you still owe that money you still have that debt hanging over you you know and you can go back to that person and say you know can i actually have that back i need to return that you know so it's putting yourself under pressure to give people things even if it means you're going into debt and for some reason people don't think about don't think of consumer credit as debt like i know people who buy everything on consumer debt like they'll they'll buy furniture let's say they'll buy furniture that's like two thousand pounds two thousand pounds for a sofa which i think is outrageous if you have to pay for it in three parts you just simply can't afford it if you can't you know the age-old rule age-old rule where if you can't buy three of those items in one go you probably can't afford it especially because you can go to flea markets or secondhand shops and buy really nice quality furniture when you go to like places like the british heart foundation and buy similar or better quality items than something than buying like uh, products or goods that you can't afford that you have to spread over over like multiple payments so people don't think of of those pro- of those services as debt but it really really is and the problem with that is that one there must be something going on that people are willing to go into debt to buy gifts that are probably not even high quality gifts they're probably not even meaningful gifts they're just like tat basically they're willing to go into debt to give other people tat tat that those people are not going to treasure for the rest of time because again it's tat it's low quality tat and i think the reason for this is that what christmas has become or what the commodified component of christmas and what the commercialization of christmas has done it's that it's basically equated certain emotions with christmas so it said or not even christmas but buying in general and obviously when i think of christmas i think buy 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 i think most people think when they think about how they're going to prepare for christmas it's usually what what are all the things I need to buy for Christmas? And the emotional trigger that co- that the commodification of Christmas has become is basically they equate literal happiness with buying. They equate love with buying. They equate celebration with buying. And when I say this, it's that when you see com- when you see commercials, I- I'm talking about literally every commercial. You will notice that they'll have like scenes that seem unconnected to buying, but actually the the, the central thing they're trying to get you to do is buy. So they'll show you like a Christmas dinner scene with like lots of family members at the table. It's really, it's really like energetic and rambunctious and there's people like talking over each other. They're all smiling. They're all happy. There's a general sense of feeling like of a familial feeling. And you can, you know, the, the celebration is palpable basically from you. And as you're watching the commercial, you're probably like smiling and you're probably feeling like warm, fuzzy feelings because that's what the commercial is designed to do. And if it were to, if it were to stop there where it was, 
you know, a, an image of like a family having dinner, happy and excited, that would be totally, that would be so lovely, of course, but it doesn't stop there. What will happen is at the foreground, you know, it'll zoom into a product that they want you to buy. So it'll be like alcohol they want you to buy or it'll be jewelry or it'll be like visiting somewhere. It'll be something that basically wants you to part with your money. And again, you know, if that was if that was isolated or if that wasn't so pervasive, then that in itself wouldn't, necess- wouldn't necessarily be a problem because ultimately companies need to make money. And they obviously spend money on advertisement because they want to make people aware of the products that they have. It's just that with Christmas, they literally manipulate our feelings to make us feel as though the only way to show for example, love is by buying somebody something because that's what they're doing in all those shots. Or I've seen another really egregious advert where it's like a man is at the door and he's looking like super excited. He's he's like patting down his pockets and the woman is inside and she's looking all like lovely and cozy and she looks like she can't wait for him to walk in. And as she walks in, as she opens the door to him, he's got a big smile on his face and straight away before they've even like hugged and kissed and said hello is he gives her the gift and she opens up the gift and she looks so excited and he looks like he's like the real man like he you know he's literally brought home the bacon he's brought her a gift and then it basically talks about it says something like show show the people in your life that you love them you know buy them and then they talk about the product like just really shameless equations of love with money or love with buying things and that puts a lot of pressure on people because the community the message being communicated is essentially if you love your partner if you love your family, if you love your love, if you love your loved ones, then the way to show them that you love them is through buying these things. And obviously they're also those our family and friends are also consuming those same messaging. So they're also consuming the same messaging that's brainwashing them, that's making them feel that the only way to show love is to buy people things. And not only that, but the only way to receive love is also to receive things from them. So somebody might make you a delicious dinner or they might be very attentive to you because you know they listen to you talk they listen to you talk about your issues they give you good counsel they're always there for you emotionally they really consider your feelings you know they give you the 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 experience of feeling like you are seen and heard but still even though they are literally demonstrations of love and affection still the person doesn't feel loved because you didn't give them something and that's what happens when we're all consuming these messages that's taking that's hijacking these wonderful experiences at Christmas for example these wonderful holidays that we all enjoy celebrating and they're basically hijacking them for their own commercial gain and they're saying you know it's not enough to enjoy the booze and the food and the games and the watching old school films that I talked about at the beginning of the episode that's not enough to celebrate with your family that's not enough to celebrate the Christmas period or the festivities or going to church if that's how you celebrate Christmas it's not enough to just do that if you really want to show love, if you really want to be happy, if you want to bring happiness to the people that you love, then you have to buy basically all these items that we're selling that we're selling to you during the Christmas period. And that's probably my fundamental problem with it. You know, who are you to tell me how I should receive love and how I should show love? And I would say, you know, when I'm looking around the the streets at this time of year and especially as we amp up towards like Christmas we get a little bit closer because you know we're still we're still like three weeks out at this stage but as we become closer we get closer to Christmas 
alongside the excitement in the air about Christmas presentation and the niceness or how nice it is that people are a little bit gentler and soft, softer on the street, what is also undeniable is that you also sense the, the extreme pressure that people are under. So as you get closer to the Christmas period and you're shopping, for example, you're doing late, late, late shopping, you know, because you've left everything very late, you will notice that people are so stressed. They're running around like headless chickens. Their faces are not happy or smiling or soft. They're they're scrunched up with stress. They're running around. They're like headless chicken. They're bumping into people. There's a level of like, like they're on the cusp of just losing it because they're facing this pressure to like, they're thinking, I got to show love. I got to show love. I got to show happiness. I've got to curate this magical experience for all my loved ones and the only way that I can achieve that is by buying all these things and getting them at a great deal you know so it doesn't feel you know especially when we get to like a week before Christmas or a few days before Christmas you know the proof is really in the energy that people are displaying it's high stress it it, there's a general sense of like there's a pressure to perform there's a pressure to give and that's a that's the element of Christmas that I don't like you know because Christmas should be about all those nice things, should be about spending time with your family, should be about commemorating the birth of Jesus. It should be about a cultural experience that we can all partake in, that, you know, bonds us all together. That's what, that's the best parts of Christmas. And we shouldn't really become so inculcated with the commercialization of Christmas that has convinced us all that the only way to experience happiness or to to have joy or to give love is by buying people things because I feel like when that is the focus then all the stress comes about and it also means it it cheapens the experience because the experience is not just fun for fun's sake and spending time for for spending time's sake it's essentially equating or putting a financial value on all of our relationships and I feel like when I feel that way it naturally makes me want to withdraw from the Christmas experience and I'm sure I'm not alone I'm sure the stress of the Christmas period can also make people lose sight of what is so magical about Christmas and so I say all this to say that You know, it's not like I'm not going to celebrate Christmas. I'm really looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to all the great bits of Christmas that I described at the beginning. But, you know, as I go through the Christmas period, I'm going to try and stay aware of how I'm feeling in the moment and to resist the urge to buy into the version of Christmas that the commercialization of Christmas has brought about. You know, I'm going to focus on the fun bits, the the food, the booze, the family experiences, the games, and the other stuff, the high pressure stuff, the outward expanding of gift giving, that part I'm probably going to try and leave behind. So that wraps up this week's episode. Um, Let me know what you thought about the episode and how you feel about Christmas. You know, what are some of the the cultural practices that you practice in your family? What are the best bits for you? What are the worst bits for you? Have you found that as you've gotten older, Christmas has become um, less fun or more fun? Let me know what you thought. My email is offlinethoughts.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and catch you on the next episode.